Every morning I get out of bed, I put on the news, and I drop to the floor for a two-minute plank. You got this. Have I done 10 seconds yet? 20. <laughs> Why do I do this? Well, let me tell you. When done properly, a plank that's holding your body up on your elbows and toes and keeping yourself absolutely straight like a plank of wood might be just about the best exercise for your body. It can strengthen the core, the spine, the rhomboids, those are the muscles on your upper back, the lats and trapezius, more back muscles, the shoulders and the triceps, and also to some degree the quads, the glutes, and the hamstrings. I mean, it's a complete exercise. There really isn't anything else like it. You're listening to the Blissful Hiker Podcast. I'm Allison Young, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Through sharing my stories of walking long-distance trails as a solo middle-aged female hiker, I hope I can empower you to learn to hike your own hike, too. Okay, come on, come on, come on. Now, my tagline is walking the world. And you might be wondering, what in the world is this morning ritual of planking? One that I'm holding right now for two solid minutes. No droopy butt, no triangle shape. Well, planks are a body weight exercise. They help build a solid core, one that stabilizes, balances, and powers the body. From that strength comes all other strength, and it's the basis for all athletic movements. Yes, I'm a full-time pedestrian, but that does not mean I walk all the time. In fact, I walk better when I do other things to get my body strong and flexible. So today, three weeks out from starting the Continental Divide Trail, I thought I'd bring you along on a little through-hike of how a long-distance backpacker gets and stays in shape for hiking. Well, here's how you do a plank. You lay on your belly with your elbows below your shoulders and your legs straight out. Then you press your toes under and you lift your body. Now you want to watch for that straight line from the heels all the way to the top of the head. It's kind of hard. You can start with 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Then sometimes you can stop and pop back in. When you get good, you can do a little bit of a leg lift very gently. And then it's back into a kneeling position. Child's pose, up dog, full forward fold. The results of a daily plank are pretty phenomenal. I started doing them right after my surgeries. Well, you've probably heard by now that I'm bionic. I had both hips replaced in the fall. Now, there is a video of what full hip arthroplasty looks like. I watched a bit of it. It's lots of sawing. It's lots of popping the leg apart. The anterior approach left me with six-inch scars in the front of my legs. But it's actually relatively easy on the body because no muscles are cut this way. That being said, there's a lot of jamming things around, and it did leave me with a bruised nerve, likely in the sciatica nerve. So my left calf, the foot, and the big toe are numb, and they tingle. For the first few months, I couldn't bend my left foot up very well, and it made walking very difficult and painful. The muscle is tight, and it does cause me a bit of concern for hiking. So what I do is I stretch a lot, like on a stretch board. 
I mean, it's not fancy. It's just this big, giant piece of wood with some sticky cloth on it that I lean against the stairs. And then I face up the stairs and pull that calf way back. It's funny that afterwards, I feel kind of light, like a feather. It's been seven months since that first surgery, and the tingly feeling is going away very, very slowly. I think they were afraid to tell me it could take about a year or more. So that feeling of being light as a feather, even just for a moment, is huge for me. And the way to feel that light more often is through yoga. I love yoga, especially hot yoga. So my whole journey of having to have my hips replaced started actually four years ago. I was climbing a wall in the gym, and I suddenly had this searing pain in my left leg. My belayer let me down, and I was in tears, and we all thought I'd just pulled a muscle. Well, it turned out it was the first sign that my hips were decaying. Arthritis does run in my genes, and it's been causing swelling and disfigurement in my fingers and toes over the past decade. But I had no idea I'd get a diagnosis of severe arthritis in my hip. Summit Orthopedics gave me a cortisone shot in the left hip, and then they sent me on my way. I was not walking well, and I definitely wasn't going to climb any walls again. And skiing felt kind of impossible because of that pushing motion. So I was totally lost in the middle of winter. What was I going to do to stay in shape? And it was actually at the same time that I was doing one of those exercises for your mind and spirit about digging deep into things that you remember doing in your past, like when you were a child, and you don't do anymore. And that's when I remembered this yoga class that I took years ago in Boulder, and they had the heat way cranked up, and I absolutely loved it. But I only took that one class, and I never went back. So here I was thinking, that would be perfect. It would be like doing my own physical therapy. So I did a Google search for hot yoga, and lo and behold, there's a center one mile from my house. How had I not ever known this? They even offered a free trial, so I signed up. And that first time that I placed my chin atop my entwined fingers, my elbows like a bellows sucking in and pressing out air for pranayama breathing, I felt like I'd come home. Holding those intense yoga poses for a minute at a time and 105 degrees over 90 minutes restructured my body. And it bought me time. It bought me the Te Araroa and the Pacific Crest Trail and a whole bunch of miles in between. I actually asked my doctor about this. Like, why did I have all that time before I had to have my hips replaced? And he said, you know, a lot of times there is little pain until the whole system just falls apart. I had no trouble at all hiking until I had no cartilage left, and a cortisone shot was just not going to fix things. So fast forward to my last class in hot yoga. It was the exact day that the governor shut down our state due to COVID. So I've been mostly incorporating yoga poses at home. And now that I have titanium hips, it's very, very slow, and it's, well, it's not the whole workout, and it's definitely not the entire pose. But as my teachers told me, they said, you still get the benefit doing some of the pose correctly. First set, move as slow as you need. Pada, stasana, hands to feet pose. Bend the knees and 
So I do mostly standing poses, and I love the standing head-to-knee pose. As I said, I don't stand head-to-knee, but I pull my knee up high, and I reach for the bottom of my foot, standing strong and locked on one leg. It's incredible what it does. I mean, you focus intensely, and you feel all of this kind of stretching and strengthening, the breathing, the balancing. It's like you're juicing up your body. I then try for standing bow. That's when you stand solid on one leg and you reach out your hand and pull the other back like you're doing a quad stretch. And then your free hand is up in the air. And you slowly tilt forward and kind of pull yourself into a bow, the leg and the free arm in equal proportion. Again, this one about focusing and balancing, it just wakes up those muscles. My doctor told me it could take a full year before my muscles heal, and they're protesting for sure. It's not pretty when I do these poses, and it's definitely not perfect. I'm not going to be in any yoga journals. But I am balancing here as my timer ticks off 60 seconds. There's also half-moon hands to feet, which doesn't challenge my balance so much as dig deep into my torso, and it wakes up any lazy muscles. I feel taller after this pose. Tree pose is a kind of standing half lotus, and it slowly encourages an opening up in my hips. Now, I have asked Dr. Stromer over a dozen times if I have any restrictions, and he said, no, you can sit in lotus if you want, if you can get into it. Though he did advise that I skip running from now on, mainly so I don't wear out my new hardware, which could last 30 years. I mean, think about that. The rest of my walking life? Maybe. So my workout is holding balance poses and stretching, doing planks and focusing my energy to be more flexible and stronger. And what about cardio? Well, I take pride in the fact that I'm a bit of a mountain goat when it comes to going uphill. Remember Alessio, my hiking buddy on the Te Adadoa? I mean, he pegged my age near 60, and yet he said I hike like someone in their 20s. Sadly, all of that disappeared with my surgery. I don't think it's entirely because I sat in bed binging on The Queen's Gambit and The Crown. It had more to do with the fact that my muscles were stressed and weak. For them to carry my body required a lot of fuel in the form of oxygen. Those first days out in the snow with my leckies and traction on my shoes, I got so tired. I still remember my very first uphill heading from the river to Fort Snelling. It was so hard. I think I counted to 120 breaths as I went up, trying to stay under my breath and get to the top without stopping. Nothing makes you feel old and that you're losing it, like being out of air. Curiously, before my surgeries, when I couldn't really walk at all, I was able to bike. It was a challenge to get on my bike since I couldn't spread my legs apart. I would just kind of place the bike on the ground and sort of step into it. And I could ride for miles, I mean 30, 40 miles, and some decent uphills, which of course knocked me right out to the point I'd sleep like a log when I got home. But I do credit all that biking right before surgery with my somewhat easier recovery. Cycling has a totally different effect on the body. It's non-weight-bearing, so the stress is on the muscles and not on the joints. There's this built-in interval training if you're riding on a trail. I mean, sometimes you coast. 
Sometimes you have the wind in your face. And sometimes you have hills. And of course, sometimes you just want to get through that yellow light. I mean, there's an argument that walking is so natural, you don't really get the workout you need, and you definitely get it when you bicycle. I live in a city, St. Paul, in a state, Minnesota, with one of the best bike trail systems in the country. I normally just hop on Hank, my little city bike, and just ride right out my driveway to wherever I want to go, east to Stillwater, south to Hastings, or my favorite, west, to the grand rounds of the city lakes in Minneapolis. It's kind of urban meets Sunday in the park with George once I reach the Greenway portion, an old railroad mostly below street level carving its way under bridges from the Mississippi to Bidet Makaska. Riding my bike on city trails is the great leveler. Everyone is out. I mean, you see lime scooters, babies on board, entire families like little ducklings in a row. Hi. And of course, a few lycrud road warriors. It's never a bad day in the summer to be out, and I turn left and circle Lake of the Isles, singing my little ditty, Everyone's Out in the City. It's still cool today, as spring descends in blooming trees. A woman does a sun salutation in the grass, and a man walks his cat on a leash. A large group cooks weenies on a barbecue they roll down to the shore. The trails here are a miracle of public-minded efforts. Designed in the late 1800s by a man named William Watts Falwell as a ring of city parks, he connected all of these lakes, Bidet Makaska, Brown, Cedar, Nokomis, Lake of the Isles, and Harriet, and famous Minnehaha Falls, with trails, making them available to everybody, whether you could afford lakefront property or not. Now, for my purposes, it's a beautiful ride past the scenic loveliness of lakes, but also the eye candy of the populace. Fishermen and their dueling music, tiny people with big dogs and big people with tiny dogs, a painter painting in en plein air next to high schoolers in prom dress. Someone very wisely separated the people on wheels from the people on foot, and our trail goes one way around the lakes. Bikers pass me and I pass skaters, one pushing a baby carriage. Sure, I could easily ride out in the country on a road bike and push myself harder, but here, I do get to go fast sometimes. I have long stretches of paved trail, safe from distracted drivers, and I can go straight from my door for 50 miles or more. My thighs and my butt are getting worked, and my breathing is coming back. It's slow at first, but I begin to feel more and more like myself. Of course, walking is really what I do, a full-time pedestrian. And all these activities are linked to making me a stronger, more balanced, and more athletic walker. So part of my, I really hate that word, training, but that's what it is, is walking, and lots and lots of miles of it. Aside from that little mini backpack trip I took on the Superior Hiking Trail in northern Minnesota, I usually visit a series of superb state and regional parks nearby. Afton, William O'Brien, Fort Snelling, Lake Mariah, Frontenac, and Nurstrand. They all have slices of ecology that fascinate, like bluffs and cliffs, 
woods filled with birds, and carpets of spring flowers. By far, my go-to is a wee park east of St. Paul called Lake Elmo. Now, why does this place always feel like coming home? For one thing, there's a series of loops that can add up to well over 12 miles, so it's a decent amount of movement for a would-be thru-hiker. I take my pack and fill it with tomato sauce cans and jiggle my way around to remind myself how a bear canister will weigh me down. There are hills, and there's variety. Woods, prairie, and ponds. Maybe the reason I love it so much is that this park sits on the edge of the city and is still full of life. Red-winged blackbirds slap trilling, pileated laughing hysterically, frogs peeping, and crickets sawing. Walking is very different than being on a bike. It's slow. I think more. I talk to the goddess more. Okay, I talk to myself more. I watch the light change as the afternoon moves to dusk. A wild turkey cackles, and a few remaining cranes answer, loud but mysterious. One white-throated sparrow sings his downward melody, telling me he's only staying the night and heading north tomorrow. I point my lecky straight out to break up a cloud of gnats, and then I round familiar bends in the trail that bring me to a tiny beach where two geese protect their brood of yellow-black goslings, tongues stuck out and necks arching in warning. This park never feels full. I pass a few hikers all commenting on the beautiful evening, but mostly lost in their own reverie. My left calf is not so much sore, but kind of solid. My foot tingles each time I step. Moving along, the little sore spots work their way out, and I find a rhythm, pushing up the hills and remembering who I am again. As this walk comes to an end, I feel good that all the little bits of workout have gotten me here, to a place I enjoy over and over, the memory of which I'll take when I walk the Continental Divide. American beach volleyball star Carrie Walsh Jennings has this advice. It's going to be a journey. It's not a sprint to get in shape. What I've learned is that long-distance trails are just an extension of what I already do. My planks, the yoga, biking, and walking. Through hikes are one section hike after another, additive beauty and interest and problems to solve. Obviously, I won't have a home to return to every day when I go. But as I train, okay, that word again, let's say, as I prepare, I get to know my body better and what it can do, especially with new titanium hips and the healing that's still going on. That helps me project what I'll be capable of as I move through each day of a long hike. And let's be honest, I like how it feels to train prepare. Even if I have to give up the Continental Divide Trail on week one, I've already been on a journey. You can subscribe to Blissful Hiker wherever you get your podcasts. And please, please leave a review on Apple to help the show get discovered. Blissful Hiker is now on Patreon, and you can support the show that I will record while on trail this season. As a patron, you'll get an invitation to private cocktail parties along the CDT, where you can ask questions and hang out via Zoom. 
Find a link to Patreon in the show notes or at blissfulhiker.com. And the website is also where you can find other episodes, the blog, see pictures, and contact me. I'd really like to know what you're doing right now to stay in shape or prepare for a hike. You can find me at blissfulhiker.com. Next week, it's time to prepare logistics. And I'll share what I go through making that happen for a four-and-a-half-month hike. Until then, my friends, kia kaha and happy trails.